and that's that's actually really useful when you're in philosophy. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely challenging when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, even I remember you had a blog post, so I guess it was a more religious blog post because you were talking about the story of um, Abraham and how the punishment from the king, King Nimrod, was to... And I'm not calling him Nimrod as an insult. That's the name of the king. (laughs) And the punishment was for him to walk through fire, like to enter a huge a huge fire and basically the story at least in the you know quran is that god made the fire cool so that when he walked through it there was no effect and in that you were saying something incredible you were saying how like you were saying that you you dissected how we think about fire and How some people think about fire is that, you know, it's a fire. Like, of course it will burn you. Of course it will sustain itself. Of course it can cause harm. Like, we have these associations of fire. But then the thing that you were stressing was that if we believe that all creation is subject to the command of God, the creator, then the fire can't burn if God doesn't want it to burn. It's like... Almost as if some people, I think you were stressing that like, it can be easy to forget that aspect because fire is so dangerous. It can be easy to forget this aspect of like the unseen, this aspect of like, well, the fire didn't create itself. It didn't make itself. Like, how can it have power over itself and its properties? Do you understand like what I'm saying? I mean, (laughs) I would hope I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I love that story. I mean, sorry, I just caught you. Go ahead. No, you can go ahead. Yeah. um, Yeah, the the fire part is is one of the coolest, I don't mean to make a pun, parts of the story. Because, well, first of all, it was just so on point about what what I was writing about for my thesis. The idea of instantaneous creation, that God is involved in every instant of creating the universe, that's really cool. And that even goes back to the sandwich thing, right? Because if you think about how you digest a sandwich and the motor protein, that thing is, it's so seemingly unimportant. But its its existence is being continued by God so that you can actually like digest this thing and get energy from it and it's the same with the fire is that it's it's a kind of like idolizing when we think fire is essentially a burning thing it is just hot and it burns and that's what fire is but those are things that are just given to it right and that's created within it at every moment for me it makes me feel really wholesome because it's so it's so the complete opposite of thinking that God created the world and kind of just like left us alone. You know, like he's very much involved in every second, every instant of our lives. And it kind of puts things in perspective when you fear something, right? Like he doesn't fear this humongous fire that they built because he's just like, the fire is under God's command too. So it's really cool. 
I'm so I'm so glad you read that post and like you got I don't know you enjoyed it I guess because ah it's so cool. If you have the viewpoint that everything was created by God and then God left everything and like you said essentially abandoned everything, then suffering becomes I think so much more difficult to cope with, right? But then if you have the mindset of like. In every instant, down to the most, to the smallest unit of time, not only did God create everything, but he's sustaining that creation and aware of that creation and intimately involved with that creation, more intimately involved with the creation than any other creation at every moment, then your relationship to suffering changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... I mean, I think that's what I was saying before about philosophy is that I think for a lot of people, it's kind of like this masochism, you know, where they're doing it and they're just like so jaded about the world and about existing and they don't even think they're free. It's just like life is meaningless and suffering is meaningless and all this stuff. And you can go into philosophy with that. And you can you can become a philosopher and you can get a PhD and you can become a professor and that's that's like nobody's gonna say that's not allowed. But it's so much more fun to do philosophy when you have a more involved and just joyous perspective of the world, um, which is what that gives you, right? Like God is involved in every instant of what's happening here. And if I have a creator like that, you know, who is caring about me instantaneously to keep creating me, I'm in good hands. It's not just sustenance or continuing. It's creation at each of those time points because it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's what was involved in your coming into being in the first place obviously is different from like what's involved in sustaining you when you're like 5, 17, 27, etc, right? But it's like the fundamental component of just existing or not existing. That that component is the same time point 0, time point age 27, etc. So you can see it as almost like it's an extremely intimate connection that the creator has to you that you are being essentially like reborn in a sense every moment does that make sense yeah i mean that this is really cool and it's like it's a part of the gratitude and gratitude thing in i think like gratitude is like a very important focus in in the quran right in scripture it's like it's so important and you're like why is it so important like yeah thank god for the food and for the shelter and for that but it's it's so fundamental it is so so much more fundamental than that. A lot of people, right, Muslims or non-Muslims, believers or non-believers look alike, we tend to overestimate our own power and how much we do to kind of sustain ourselves. So we're like, what do you mean? Like, I don't earn this money. I go to work. I do the job. I do the X, Y, Z. What do you mean this? What do you mean that? And it's like, or people say like my favorite um, lines like what did God ever do for me <laughs> and it's like ah, as you're saying that he is sustaining the entire universe to allow you to say that and that's just like we are so unaware and it's just like a macro 
part, like the macro, I guess, unawareness of the sandwich thing, right? Because you just think it's a sandwich and you just think you just exist. And that's just not true. You couldn't sustain yourself. You couldn't just say, I'm going to sustain myself for the next minute, next second, because you implicate the entire universe into that second. And because we're just so used to it, we're just so used to like that gift we kind of just feel entitled to it and like it's no big deal yeah i mean even the sandwich like another thing that you could say is there's people who haven't eaten for a week or a month haven't seen a sandwich for a year like don't know where they're going to get their next meal from to them that sandwich would be amazing if they had that right like the joke that he was making like oh what are you going to say when your first child is born it's like the presumption there is that that person, you know, the person who says, oh, this sandwich is amazing. The presumption is that there's someone who hasn't had to deal with food insecurity or like deprivation of food or starvation. But there's millions of people who have to deal with that. And like to them, food actually would be amazing. Like it wouldn't be something to like make a joke about. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But that's that's something someone could say if they had access to just a sandwich anytime any day they wanted yeah yeah and then even what you were saying earlier about you know how you grew up in this environment where you had to be very critically thinking and you know you read a lot you used the money that you won from reading (laughs) to buy more books to read i mean have you found this is like diverging from what we've been discussing but have you found that you are still very much a reader, especially given your major philosophy involves, you know, a lot of reading, or would you say you've departed from reading? My question is not making a lot of sense, but basically what I'm asking is, you know, there are some people who, when they were younger, they read a lot, but then with the advent of digital media or social media in their lives, and then academia, or not academia, academics, like, different responsibilities etc they've sort of detached from that habit or that desire to read for leisure to read to become more critically thinking like would you say that you've gone down that road or you're still very much someone who reads despite years of reading i'm a very slow reader it's kind of a disadvantage but recently i read that skimming is actually not good so i got the upper hand at the end of the day yeah i i do read a lot of philosophy I kind of have to and sometimes let's say like three-fifths of the time (laughs) the the stuff we're reading is very convoluted and dense but if I have time I can actually like sit down and enjoy it recently my last one of the last classes I took was like a history of philosophy class where we learned about Kant and Hegel and those are the big names I was kind of apprehensive going into the class, but I actually really liked reading Kant and Hegel. Um, Wow, sounding like a massive nerd. And I love reading fiction. I love reading for recreation, which I've been doing a lot of this summer. So that's really, it just replenishes my soul. And I think I would feel really like embarrassed or ashamed if I wasn't a reader because my dad 
if there's a day where he hasn't read at least like 30 to 50 pages he even if he did so many other productive things he thinks that day was just you know he like he reads a lot and he has a really great memory so it, it would be really embarrassing if I came out of that tradition and then was just like I'm not a reader anymore it's an interesting thing because you know there's this book that came out by Nicholas Carr and basically the whole premise of the book is how how do I phrase it delicately <laughs> like the whole premise of the book is that society is going down an unfavorable direction because the way the internet is designed it's designed to be a space of distraction and of surface level information processing before that you know in the age of books surface level information processing distraction you know short attention spans having such a wide array of information from so many different sources but none of them are deep like long like when if we think for example for of like a tweet that can only be 140 characters like that's not a long dissertation of like deep you know what i'm saying it's not a space to be like usually to be very deeply reflect reflective like in a you know dickens novel that can be hundreds of pages long right yeah. and so basically the premise of the book is that you know we're going down this unfavorable direction as a society because our abil abilities to think critically and deeply and be reflective and um, introspective, I think even he was saying, are being compromised by by these spaces because they're designed to, it's really, they're designed to be profitable, right? And so the more clicks they can get, the more attention, the more time they can get from you whatever they need to do to accomplish that and optimize that they're going to do. And that's not necessarily in your favor, right? Like I remember, <laughs> I'm not someone who's like against internet, against Instagram. Like that's not what I'm saying. So at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Skivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Or at least it once did. How do you discover that about which you're passionate? And can you have co-passions? Is that really possible? Maybe it is because you can have more than one passion that you're pursuing or, or would like to pursue. And the reason there's that multiplicity, that plurality, is because each of those passions reflects the same underlying affinity that you have towards something. Um, 
So this interruption became a bit more stream of consciousness. Um, initially, it started out as the fulfillment <laughs> of, a, of a legal, technically, order. Then it changed to, well, I should plug Skivio if I have to plug Skype. And then it evolved into this deeper, almost existential, if not directly existential question about how does one decide what to pursue? Which honestly, this is coming full circle because is that not the purpose of Skivio Radio, right? I've interviewed people from a range of backgrounds and you find that I consistently ask about whether the path they're currently on was one they imagined they would embark upon, right? If this path that they're on now is it something that they knew from a young age, from earlier in life, from whatever point, whatever previous point that they were being called to, right? <laughs> if we're going to invoke a sense of destiny. Or is it really just the reflection of their wanting to change, right? There's nothing deeper. It wasn't um, from a historical or, or childhood you know, fantasy about what, what I want to be you know, before I'm 30, because apparently uh, there's a deadline that's that's quite ageist, right? You know, uh, how many authors and writers only wrote their first book, you know, at, when they were 50 or 60, in their 50s, in their 60s, right? How many great things were accomplished by humankind from people who were in middle age or older? So I honestly don't know where this deadline comes from. Thank you for sticking with me through yet another digression. And I return you back to my programming and this conversation. And follow Skivio on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Facebook, Skivio is an active, so you can follow us there as well. But um, there, it would only be a show of support. <laughs> it wouldn't be to receive any information um, or content or resources, because I'm very big on that. But I remember like this, you know, he's an author of multiple books, translated in multiple languages. He's like a marketing guru, Seth Godin. He was saying how, you know, <laughs> he was saying how social media is not designed to make you be better. He was saying like, you're basically, <laughs> he was saying basically like, we're employees and not employees, but we're, we're there for them to make money. Like the, they didn't design it for us to become like better humans or like more productive humans or like more optimized people. Like it, it wasn't designed for that purpose. And so like when people say like, oh, the internet is like compromising your attention span. Like, I guess the point he was making is like, don't take it as an insult. Take it as like, that person is just trying to reveal to you like the actual intent, genuine intention of those companies. Like, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's an interesting discussion because it's like, have you felt, you know, 
in your life or in the lives of people close to you that reading is becoming more underappreciated? Definitely. I think like the one sad thing about college was not having leisure time to read. And I'm not um, innocent (laughs) either, but when you're in an academic setting, you think you're already doing reading. And you are, but it's so important to do reading where you're not going to write a paper on it or you're not going to get quizzed on it. You don't have like a strict deadline and you're just doing it for yourself. So that's like for our generation, it's definitely a problem. But I also, I think a lot of my friends also are complaining about that. I recently read The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. It's kind of like a memoir about grief and about her basically losing her husband. My friend sent it to me for my birthday, so I was like really excited. Read it in like a few days, and I I sent her a letter, <laughs> and I was talking about um, how it's so nice to kind of just read for fun on your own time, and how it's so unfortunate that we couldn't do more of that in college, and she's of the same opinion we I had a group chat with a bunch of other people. I was telling them to read this book. They were all voicing the same opinion. It was like, I can't wait until I get back into reading for fun because that's like one thing college robbed me of. So I think like for us, for people who grew up like that, it's definitely like a noticeable change. It's not something we like willingly gave up. But I have a nine-year-old brother and it's a totally different thing there. We limit his media consumption time to an hour a day. So he can either like play a game or he can watch something. But the rest of the day, he needs to kind of entertain himself, read and write and do art and craft, go outside. Because we have like family, friends and other kids we know where there is no way to engage with them. And they kind of just abuse their need or addiction to playing video games or being on a phone. And it's like, they hate reading. They hate it. <laughs> and I don't know how to make them like it. Like, I don't know how I started liking it. I think because I, I mean, it's a lot of the cliche things people say. You are trans- transported into a different world and you can read about other stories and the prose is beautiful and all this stuff. But... Just the, the the sheer fact of reading should give people joy. It seems so matter of fact. But so many of my brother's friends are just like, oh my god, you have to pay me to read. Because I'm not reading any other way. Now I'm kind of like, I wouldn't say depressed, but just like... But, okay, but let me let me also say this. I don't completely agree with what the author of the book you were mentioning was saying because I think like technology is scapegoated a lot of the time and I think it's really kind of unfair because it's not like these problems didn't exist before sure there's some unique things that are coming up and the spread of technology and like the internet age is exponential right but I think there's also so many great and productive things have come out of that too totally turning in my intellectual card here but like do you remember vine 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I loved Vine. You know, I'm still sad about it. I know it's been years, but it was so, it was so amazing. People could make, like, feature-length kind of stories yeah. in six <laughs> seconds, right? That's really pushing the, the limits of what we consider a story, how we tell stories, what is considered funny. And I mean, a lot of online communities and groups are formed through that. And I, I'm not saying like, oh, you can talk to your like relatives overseas. It's like there are pockets of people, right, young and old and whatever, who are just creating stuff, writing stuff for fun, for free and sharing it with each other. And they're engaging in that kind of like, hey, here, look, I wrote like a 20-page story, who wants to read it? And then there's like 30 other people who want to read it. And then there's like five people who are like, let me like draw comics for that for free. You couldn't really find that opportunity unless you were really lucky when I was a kid. But that's something that's really cool. Artistically, I think the internet has a lot of potential for people to kind of make art and share it with a lot of people without there being so many like bureaucratic steps in between you can be an artist just by making art and putting it on there and you can like you can get a bunch of people who really like your style or who really like what you're doing and there you don't need to like be employed by an art gallery or art magazine who has a certain kind of mission and certain kind of style you can just do your own thing and totally like spread it yeah i mean i totally agree with what you said sure there may be unique issues of this but even like there was a professor a psychology professor she was saying how the research about social media use or digital media use the connections that people talk about that you know they're connected to anxiety depression mental health issues etc she was saying that the associations and the effects are not large enough for us to say that those things are true and that correlation is not causation like you can't say you know what i'm saying like she was saying it could be that the people who use social media a lot and feel anxious or depressed when they do it could be that they already were anxious and depressed and they sought out social media as a refuge from that depression and you know what i'm saying it's not necessarily that they started on instagram and then left upset like they could have already been upset and then opened instagram to like relieve that feeling of being upset you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it's just so convenient to be like this is the the cause of xyz it can be but when you i think when you just say that it makes it it masks the real issue right a lot of the times like anxiety body image issues those kind of things they didn't start with the social media age you know they the problems are deeper than just people being super skinny on instagram we have valued this to the extent that this is now why this person has followers like that's an issue but the issue wasn't created on that platform. That issue existed before. And so when you say, oh, social media is the problem, technology is the problem, it prevents you from addressing the real root of the issue, I think. And it's just like really lazy to just be like, oh, it's just that. Or it's just, oh, it's just a technology age. It's just, it's just the internet. 
yeah yeah it's almost like again with the discussion of gratitude that we were having like it's almost like for example someone if they're not how do i describe it like if they're not feeling grateful for their situation in life or they're not feeling happy with a particular situation they could seek out social media as like an escape like people have had escapism before social media like alcohol drugs etc it's just that social media is now a new tool in the toolkit for someone with that issue to now use right so it's not like you know what i'm saying it's not like in and of itself it's causing it i'm not saying it can't contribute or cause depression or anxiety in some people but it's not like we can say that for every instance that's the root cause foundation it could be that person really like you said like in the joke that louis ck was making and the person was like the sandwich was amazing it could be that you know i even remember someone saying that it was like a a person he's um what's his name I'm going to remember later, but he was saying how, you know, it's because people it's because it's when you have an uninterrupted flow of something in your life that you become more and more accustomed to it. And because you become more and more accustomed to it, your gratitude towards it. So at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Skivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all is not the same as something that like just comes into your life for the first time or like when you lose that thing like your arm for example you may not be feeling particularly grateful for having an arm or two arms at this very moment but if you lost it god forbid right then you would really be acutely aware of how much you overlooked the blessing that is an arm or two arms you know what i'm saying But even more positive things can give you that experience, right? When you travel to a new place and you don't feel comfortable, you understand the value of having a home. And I think it comes back to that, like, you don't know how it feels to not just, like, see other people's conditions and be like, wow, I can, I could have been born into a situation like this, but wow, like, I'm in somebody else's place of comfort. I don't speak the language or I don't feel, I don't know my way around town. And then you understand how valuable it is to have like a home base like that. There's even gratitude is so complex because it's like, you can be grateful for things that you have, but then you can also consider things that that you've missed, things that have never befallen you or affected you. And that is such a large number of things. Um, Yeah, there's... Like my my mom always says there's like khair in everything and then my dad always says no there's hikmah in everything right so one is my mom always says there's something good and then my my dad always says there's always wisdom everything that doesn't go according to your plan there is a reason for it and i, I don't know i wear hijab right so like i'm i'm visibly muslim 
and that carries a lot of meaning and connotations for a lot of people but sometimes you know like people will be like oh so so what do you have to say about this what do you have to say about that and <laughs> i mean sometimes you're like you don't want to engage because then it's not coming from like a sincere place but usually i just want to say like can you like can you hold your breath for more than two minutes no like who do you think you are to kind of like ask <laughs> this magnitude of a question i think is like what you said about humbling yourself right like the the portion of the universe you know is not a fraction of a fraction and to kind of ask well why does why does this happen this way and why does this not go according to what i saw fit is to just be so big-headed like obviously i know what's best and i'm shaking my fist at god it's not very sincere way to deal with that question either but yeah yeah i know i feel like this discussion like oh i want to learn about grad school and then it's like a whole philosophical and religious like (laughs) uh discourse about you know evil and suffering so i don't know how how i Oh, I because of the blog post that yeah, so I guess that opened up this like line of um, um. So I guess like, is there anything else that I saw on the blog that you travel a lot? And so I guess I'm curious about like the different places you've traveled to. Oh, I'm pretty much an amateur. I just started traveling up till I think like last year. I had been in Turkey for eleven years. I lived in Bursa. And then I moved here to Virginia and I lived here for like another eight years. So I hadn't, I hadn't been much of a traveler. I think like the aesthetic of it was really appealing to me, but I genuinely started, I guess, when I studied abroad in Morocco and then I went to Spain and Italy. And then I also went to Puerto Rico and Mexico. So it's not much. But it's a start. <laughs> My mom's really encouraging about it, so that's really great. I think like being in college and being so far away from my parents for the first time in our lives was a really shocking <laughs> for everyone involved, thanks to my mom and her encouragement and her inspiration of confidence in me because I tend to worry a lot and she was just like you know you'll you'll see great places and you'll have great experiences you'll take lots of photos eat great food and I was like yeah I will do that and then afterwards my friend and I were like since we're close we can also just keep traveling but it's I mean it's really great it's it's not cheap (laughs) I'll tell you that even like just getting out of your own state is exciting. When I went to Hamilton, it's like upstate New York, you know, it's it's just rural. It was still great to kind of see a different place and be a part of a different community, even if for a little while. It's really, it just sounds fake to be like, it's all about your mindset. But if you go somewhere thinking you're going to get something great out of it, you do. And if you go somewhere thinking, oh, it's just rural New York, or what's the most that can happen, then... Is there anything else that you wish we would have discussed during this conversation? It is, it's pretty empowering to share your failures with other people in whatever way. 
you seem fit. So I think I would encourage more of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would even make a lot of our experiences more our relationships to our experiences healthier if more people shared their failures than you know the the emphasis on success 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 <laughs> it gives this false view that you're always succeeding which is not true <laughs> maybe for some people but for the majority of us it's a lot of rejection emails and things like that that are just so much easier to deal with when you have a lot of people who love you and are supporting you. Yeah, I mean, even I remember, I think it was J.K. Rowling who said, um, I can't believe I'm quoting J.K. Rowling, but she said um, that she said something to the effect. Basically, the implication is like, it's kind of impossible to not fail at something if you're really being vigorously like involved in existing, right? That's what they say, right? You miss all the shots you don't take. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much like we covered so much. Thank you for. I don't even know how you found my video, but thank you for inviting me to your podcast and also reading my blog. I kind of just do it for myself, so. I mean, I have. I think I have like nine subscribers on there. Two of them are my parents. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I share it on Facebook. So I think my friends read it when I share it. But it's always like really flattering and pleasantly surprising when I when people actually tell me they've read something on it. It's it's interesting because well one the first thing I want to say wanted to say is like that's how great blogs start it starts with your parents and like seven people <laughs> and then you know what I'm saying like even Picasso like it took until after he died I'm not saying I'm calling you Picasso not that you're not a Picasso it took until after he died for his work to be like appreciated you know what I'm saying so I feel like this emphasis some parts of the culture of our culture has on success is unhealthy for that reason as well because it's like it doesn't reflect reality aside from a mental health standpoint it doesn't reflect the reality of like history that so many people have failed before achieving whatever great thing we remember them for yeah and then also i feel like your blog you know i feel like there's things on the internet where it may not be getting like you know hundreds of thousands of subscribers and responses and likes and shares but people still see it and read it and it still impacts them and it still affects how they think and it still affects their life. As as corny as that may sound, it's like, I feel like it's tip of the iceberg. All those like metrics, vanity metrics, some call, <laughs> some call it. You know what I'm saying? It can be tip of the iceberg. Like the impact that it, your work can have on someone. You may not even ever realize it. Like if I didn't reach out to you and tell you about my reading your blog, you would have never known that I like was severely affected and, you know, inspired by what you wrote. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that's uh, pretty much my two cents, my, (laughs) the end of the conversation on my part. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, um, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me again. Um, I am agreeing in like four to five years, I'll come on your podcast again. 
um, when I'm done with like my master's and halfway through my PhD and you know like wildly successful yeah yeah Yeah. in more in more conventional ways yeah (laughs) yeah um so thank you so much um I write this not for the many, but for you. Each of us is enough of an audience for the other. I read this quote from Seneca in a blog post by Joe Abiton. The context of that article being mass production, specifically audience acquisition by means thereof. Abiton argues that while there are powerful incentives behind mass production, one-on-one human interaction can have a more powerful impact. When I think of it, I can't think of any significant moment in my life that was brought about by throngs of people. Rather, singular interactions with a teacher or my mother, a student or a boss, a guest or a listener, echo in the recesses of my mind unlike those of staggering numbers. Seems counterintuitive like collaboration over competition, equity over the status quo, abundance mindset over scarcity, gap years over full steam ahead, exploration over expectation. But that's Scivio. So I'm gonna need y'all to do at least two things to subscribe. In iTunes, it's a purple shape with the letters subscribe for subscribe in white. Google Play, I don't know. To share, there's three dots arranged horizontally. You click that, you can even text it. Like there's so many options by which to share this, through which to share this. Um, And why, you may ask, like, is it, you know, because I'm conceited and I want attention. (laughs) Why am I asking you this? Well, you know, I'm imagining at least some of you are here because of the guest, because you know her. And I'm imagining that you like her. I do. So (laughs) as if, as if that's, you know, reason why the reason why you should like her, but I'm imagining, you know, to go back to my original point, that at least some of you are here by way of her, not by way of me, right? Your subscribing, your sharing helps in the world of the internet and of iTunes and the world of the world, to be frank, helps uplift the work, right? Indirectly of the guest. My guests have written books, they have You know, they may have a blog, a YouTube channel, a book, uh, an organization, a company, a podcast impressed me so much that I felt compelled to bring them into the fold of Scivio Radio, right? 
And so, you know, I personally think other people would benefit from their work. You probably think that as well, especially if you, again, know and like <laughs> um, the person that I'm about to have a conversation, not about to, like, whose conversation with me you're about to listen to. And so for other people to benefit, they need to rise up further out of obscurity. So at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. And the way that works on the internet is algorithms and such, right? And so your subscribing and sharing has like a tangible direct impact on the visibility of their work and my work. Also, uh, it takes, it can take hours. One episode, one hour long, hour long ish episode can take seven to 10 hours to edit and produce. Uh, and it's not just me. I've outsourced. Okay. And, uh, one person said, you know, they imagine it would take them three to six days going forward to edit and produce right and i was like yes you know i didn't reply that but in my brain i was just like yep that takes me that long so i know you're not lying and so just you know not as a seeker of celebrity or fame because you know that could even be in an episode in and of itself I think I saw on Twitter, someone said, no, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it, right? And I feel like this is a societal trap that we sometimes look at things thinking, oh, if only I had that, then I would be happy. We view happiness you know, as a society, as a future point, right? And it's possible to have, and you know this, so much, literally everything you have ever wanted and still feel empty, right? And then there are people who have so little, but their faces are beaming. They have so much joy. It's like they're in a separate universe. That's how happy they are. Um, and so I feel like that's even one of the things that I appreciate most about this world is that your mindset can dictate so much of how you respond to what happens to you, right? Like, it's not as if we live in a world where the paradigm is something happens to you and that's it. There's like this further space where your reaction can really shape so much of your experience. 
this is a tangent, but <laughs> how did I go on to this philosophical bend? Um, but I'm just trying to ask y'all to subscribe and share this episode or whatever episode you like, right? Yeah, that's Kimbio. <laughs>